remember trying to talk to you in high school Couldn't even get a look cause you were too cool But now we're older and we're playing by the new rules We lived and learned Cause it's Hello again everybody and welcome back to Card Advantage I am Clues, one of your faithful hosts And actually joining me is not, not Rich He had a last minute issue that came up And so he could not be here tonight So it is just me but we had an exciting guest who was lined up, and so we're going to have one more of our uh, fireside chat episodes, I guess is what I shall call these, since the only other episode that Rich has ever missed, we had another exciting guest that we just couldn't put off. I am joined now by one of, I'm going to say, the tallest game designers I've ever met, and that is one Mr. Matt Tabeck of Wizards of the Coast. Mr. Tabeck, how are you tonight? So, first of all, I would like to just say I am more than my height. Well, no, that's absolutely true, but it is a defining Still, characteristic. Uh, it's, it's a distinguishing feature, but uh, there's more to me. Gosh darn it. I'm good, Clues. How are you? I am doing very, very well, thank you. I really am. So, a new set has hit the streets. Yes. I, I don't know if you've heard about this. But I have taken an oath. I, that's good. That's good. Uh, I won't ask you what the oath is about. But good, couldn't tell you. That's right, trade secrets Secret. and all that. Oh, well, you want trade secrets? We're good. Oh, yeah, uh, I can... Next set... Yes? Oh, I'm kidding. Oh, well, I'm pretty sure the next set is uh, Shadows Over Innistrad. They have told us that, so you are free to mention that, at who least. Have told you, who told you this? Uh, the internets? The internets. Well, well... Yeah, I mean... Surely if it was on the web, it must be... Yeah, everything they've I'll said... Has shadows over Innistrad. Okay, yeah, we'll go true. with that. That's definitely And I think better. it is I think it is shadows plural, so there's not a single shadow. So from that I there can believe there'll, there'll be more than one card. And and that they will know because they are the shadow. That's a reference for the older members of our audience. I got it. Or maybe it's just well, I, yeah, but I mean not everybody out there would they don't Because I know what evil lurks in the hearts of men. Well now that we know for sure because you are in fact the rules manager, I believe is your technical title there at Wizards of the Coast. Uh so rules manager, um kind of a weird story. Uh rules manager previously was not actually a job title. My job title this whole time, at least for several years, has been senior game designer. Uh -huh. uh, prior, prior to that I was an editor. But all the while serving as rules manager. Gotcha. Uh, now rules manager is actually a full job title at Wizards. Right. Uh, well, let's back up before we get to that, because I do want to know a lot more about what it means to be a rules manager. But let's ask some, some if, if I can ask some personal questions. Oh, yeah, please. How, how, wait, how far do you want to back up? Yeah, well, we're not going to go back too, too terribly Wednesday far. night in Milwaukee, 1975. Oh, well, that actually answers another question that will come up later, but that, no, we're, we're telegraphing things. How okay. did you get involved in magic originally? Like, as in, in any capacity, your very first experiences with magic? So, uh, I grew up and went to college in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh huh. Uh, and my freshman year of college, uh, I hung out at a laser tag place, which is long since closed, called UltraZone. So all my, all my friends went there. And a group of them started playing this new card game called Magic, uh -huh. uh, which I had never heard of. This is like 95, early 95. Okay. Uh, so friends started playing. They're like, you got to check this out. It's pretty cool. Um, what's funny is in 94, I actually bought a starter at a GameKeeper um, 
bought a starter deck, you know, looked through the cards, thought, wow, this is really cool, but I didn't really have anybody to play with. Nobody I knew had ever heard of this game. It's not a great one-player game. I'll yeah, it's that. not. Um, if you ever have, you ever talked to Lee Sharp, uh, who works here on the Magic Online team, he has a funny story about how when he learned to play Magic, he didn't have any rules or any, any idea what to do, so he just sort of made them up. So he imagined that the land cards formed a map. You had to build ah. And then the creatures walked on the map. And I think he designed his own game uh, that way. Huh. So anyway, uh, in college, friends started playing, so I started playing with them. That was cool. We uh, eventually found some uh, stores. Oh, uh, where where was college, by the way? Uh, that is the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Okay, so you were still in Vegas at this point. Still okay. in Vegas. Um, so, okay, if you want to dig deep. All right, now I feel like I'm on uh, like this a deep personal interview. So uh, Fresh I, Air, I would say, is the one that I would pick. Fresh Air? Yeah, do, I you, don't listen, know that. do you listen to NPR? Uh, I do, but I'm unfamiliar with that particular show. Oh, Fresh Air with Terry Gross. It, it, or, or she that. is my idol do, as far Gross. as interviews go. Okay, I was going to compare you to Barbara Walters, but let's move on. All right, uh, sure. So I go to I went to college in the same town that I grew up in because when I started college, I was 16, and I didn't really want to move out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, that came quickly, I assure you. But uh, <laughs> So we're playing – so we start playing Magic and we play exclusively at, at each other's houses, right? Or, right. Uh, eventually we decided to go out and look for, you know, gaming stores. And we found a couple in our area. There was one kind of near us, so we started going to. And it just kind of took off from there. Um, you know, like most people, started playing with friends and uh, eventually played in game stores. Great, great. So what most people may not know, I mean, I, I of course know, but what most people may not yeah. know is that not only were you a player, you then eventually became a judge. Oh, yeah. Well, How lot- did that happen? Well, it's kind of an extension of that. They started running tournaments because, you know, any good store is going to have events for you to right. play at. But if you can imagine in the mid-90s, there wasn't a whole lot of support for stores. Uh-huh. And the rules were not as well codified as they are today. So no one in this store knew how to run a tournament, how to run a event, what rules were. Like, no one really got that. And... My background has always kind of been in refereeing and judging things. Like in college, I was a basketball referee. That was my college job. That's what I did. Sure. For high school and and other youth leagues. Uh-huh. So I was kind of drawn to that. Like, okay, running the event could be kind of cool. Um, you can't lose if you're judging the tournament, right? You know, judges I've always- noticed that. And that but, is an appeal to me as well. Yeah, judges always win. So I kind of learned more about it. Um, you know, this was the, the beginning of really widespread web use. So from whatever Usenet groups or, you know, any information I could find on kind of the finer points of the rules, learned that and just started running events locally. That eventually gave way to when Pro Tour qualifiers started and Grand Prix trials and at the time Junior Super Series and just started judging more in my city and then actually started traveling it around the west uh western part of the united states to different towns for like you know, go run a ptq this that, and the other thing and eventually made it you know to larger events like a grand prix or a pro tour so just kind of all blossomed from running events in a dank corner of uh a long forgotten game store you know i can't really explain why but as you were telling that story of uh doing events around the west i pictured you dressed as a cowboy on a horse actually in like old Westy themed area where you'd just oh, ride yeah. into I, town. Let me text that to you. I got that. Yeah, you'd, you'd ride into town and run up, you know, a PTQ. I am below. No. Uh, <laughs> e. 
Uh, Hopefully Skype doesn't butcher that impersonation, but I assure you it was impeccable. It was. It was uh, it was like I had, you know, a famous actor on on the show. So right. you eventually, after becoming a judge and judging for a while, you somehow made the mystical magical transition behind the walls at Watsi. How'd that come about? So uh this is in the latter half of two thousand seven. Uh, I was actually courted up to the Seattle area by another game company, which is no longer in business. Uh, so I moved up here from Vegas with my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, same person, and uh, was working at a, a competing game company, smaller one, uh, that didn't work out, as it were. Um, and I was driving home one day. And Wizards uh, put out, uh, they sponsored a, a local radio show where they had a contest. And if you were caller 10, you could be rules manager, <laughs> which I thought was super exciting. <laughs> um, so I did that and got lucky. I was, it turns out I was caller uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, not 6, curiously, uh, 7, 8, 9, and 10. So I was in. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. The other game company part of that story was real. Uh, that opportunity passed. Uh, I found myself in the Seattle area looking for a job, uh, had a few options, but kind of wondered if the, the mothership, as it were, Wizards of the Coast, had any openings. So I looked, they did, came to work, the rest is history. Okay, so this was 2007-ish? Yeah, I came, I started Wizards, if memory serves, August of 07. Uh, started work on the game support team, basically helping players with their questions and problems and D and D campaigns on occasion. That was that was right. fun. I was not great at that part of my job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, You'd be surprised so- how many D and D questions you can answer with. You're the DM. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say they rule the world. You can literally change the physics of things. I right. I, uh, yeah, do that. Yeah, that works great. I, so let's try and tell time the way magic players tell time. Sure. What what set was that time wise? Um, do you remember when I started? Uh, Lorwyn was just about to come out. Is that right? It, that it, feels like, like the right time. I was going to yeah. I was going to guess Lorwyn right was, around Lorwyn. Block. Lorwyn was the September or October set of that year. Um, of course, Lorwyn was the weird four set block. So yeah, kind of was a wrench in the timelines, but I do remember coming to work and I believe Lorwyn was the first set where I got my hands on the player's guide before it was public. Mm-hmm. Um, so like every wizard's employee, if they work on magic kind of has that hole where sets aren't public yet, but you come to work and all of a sudden you're a year and a half in the future or what have you. Um, so Lorwyn, Mercadian, or what was Mercadian Masks was right before Lorwyn? No. Uh, no, I, I thought Time Spiral was Time Spiral, before. sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, Time Spiral is kind of my hole, like the, like more future site than Time Spiral. Sure. Uh, so I, I, I got to check out Lorwyn before it was public. I ran right to, um, one of the private rooms here in Wizards, um, conference room, let's say conference room. It was the bathroom. And I just, I read that player's guide cover to cover. was very excited. First time I'd seen new stuff. So, so that's gotta be a little bit weird. Can, can you describe what that, if you remember what that experience was like, I kind of feel like oh, it would be the restroom like... at Wizards is very <laughs> yeah. weird. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, uh, not that part, but I feel oh. a little bit like it would be someone who, you know, is really into candy and really craves it. And then suddenly you're just like let into, you know, Willy Wonka's factory. And it's like, there's candy as far as the eye can see, but you can't talk about it. 
Yeah, it's pretty overwhelming at first. Um, what I found now here in year uh, nine, or 10 or 12, I'm not great at math, uh, is, is that there's so much magic out there to consume. Um, you just, you're just, we're just inundated by it. And what's really awesome if you talk to the people, at least in R and D, uh, I mean, a lot of people work here. I don't want to speak for everybody, but for the vast majority of us, like we're still very much involved, right? Like we do draft night on Wednesdays mm-hmm. and they're, you know, random gaming on Friday night. We'll go to F and M and, so yeah, there's just there's a, a ton of ways to be involved in magic here, and it's it's pretty overwhelming at first, but you gotta you know you find your groove, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's a blast, you know. So you started in game support. You were yeah. uh, mostly, uh, let's say, making people's D and D experiences better. You can't see the yeah. scare quotes. Uh, and then somehow magically made the transition into actually working on game design. Uh, yeah. When, at, at what point did someone decide, hey, you know the rules. Can you fix the rules? Well, I, and I would, you know, far be it for me to badmouth any of my coworkers. But when I interviewed for Wizards, I knew more about magic than anyone sitting at the table, right? Like I was interviewed by the game support team. But I walked in with several years of level three judging under my belt. Like, right. And you old didn't... old school level three judging. Yeah, that back is... when it was hard. Yeah. Uh, you don't know. I'm kidding. It's really hard. Yeah, it, it is really hard. It's but... harder today. Though, trust me. Um, this is back in the Wild West. Uh, so I didn't need a lot of the sort of you know training and instruction and. So sort this of is the tap symbol. Yeah. And... Like, explain trample to me. I'm like, really? Okay, sure. How about layers? Can I explain layers to you? So uh, quickly, I kind of rose to the rank, rose through the ranks of like magic knowledgeable. Um, I, you know, honestly, I haven't interacted really with the game support staff in a while, so I'm not exactly sure how they're structured today. But back then, there was you know the magic focused people and the D and D focused people, and there was some crossover, but not a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, so we quickly found out that I was really, really bad at Dungeons and Dragons and I should not be allowed to talk to people who are buying Dungeons and Dragons and playing their campaign and having a good time because I was just making things worse for them. Right. Mostly because we'd get on a phone call and it would take two hours. Uh, (laughs) I literally would be asked a question. I'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to put you on hold for just a second. I'm going to grab my rule book and I'm going to look that up and I'll be right back. Okay. And then I'd look to the person next to me and go, Hey, rule book. (laughs) <laughs> this happened. What? What? What do they do? So anyway, uh, rose to the top of the the magic people. Started working more on the magic online side of support, mm-hmm. uh, helping out with events and player inquiries and new account creation and all kinds of things. So that must have been pretty early days for Magic On, right? Yeah, it, it was in release uh, two and two point five, as mm-hmm. as they are known, uh, the previous iteration of the client. And as anyone who was playing back then. Uh, one might imagine being in a support role was uh, not boring. <laughs> we had plenty of support to offer. The, um, so that was it, was, it was an exciting time. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually ended up in R&D, I don't want to say accidentally, but almost accidentally. Uh, of course, uh, the rules manager then was Mark Gottlieb. Mm-hmm. Uh, who I knew of before coming to work for Wizards. I knew of his gaming and puzzling exploits. He was someone I kind of looked up to in the industry, uh, not realizing, of course, he's only three foot six. Um, no, he's not. So <laughs> I, the pit uh, back then and today 
was really welcoming toward other departments. Like, no matter where you work, if you want to help out, like, with the actual creation of magic, if you want to play test, if you want to give opinions on cards, it's pretty easy to do so here. Um, that was true back then as well. So I, I went to talk to Mark, and I'm like, hey, um, you know, I know you do the FAQs, and you have a, a rules review team that helps you out with the FAQs. I said, you know, if you ever, uh, I'm happy to help. Like, if, if I can review or contribute bullet points or whatever, you know, I'm free. If you, if you ever um, could use some free labor, come talk to me. So he's like, great, that's fantastic. Um, and he gave me uh, the FAQ. I wish I could remember what set it was. Let's see. Would have been like 2009. What was just before M10? That was Shards of Alara Block. Was it Shards of Alara Block? I it might think have been the so. Shards FAQ. I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time remembering. Um, so anyway, he gave me the review, or he gave me the FAQ, and I reviewed it, and I kind of did, kind of did a pass and offered some comments and blah blah blah. And uh, he, he said, "Great, this is awesome. Thank you. Good work." And word got back to Mark Globus, who's a producer within R and D that came to us through the Great Designer Search that I was an editor and I had done an editing pass on the FAQ and R&D needed an editor and would I like to come, you know, try that job out for six months and see how it goes. Uh, I'm not an editor. I was going to say, um, I feel like that's almost true, but not It's almost kind of true, yeah. but I had no formal editing training. Uh, but I was like, yeah, let's, um, sure. Do, do I want to go work in R&D for six months? Uh, yes, please. So went and worked in R&D for six months, did good work, earned my keep, as it were, mm -hmm. and uh, got retained as an editor. And then Mark, when he decided he wanted to move on from rules management uh, to go do other things, there was a spot open, and I knew a lot about magic, and there I was. All right, so what's a typical day? Now Now that we've made it all the way from uh, a young Matt Tabeck, which I'm picturing as just as tall, only... Only younger, I guess. I guess wearing nineties nineties uh, fashion is what I'm picturing, but still yeah. the same height. Parachute pants, the whole bit. That, that, well, that's that feels more eighties to me. But okay, sure. Parachute pants. Picture Matt Tabeck in parachute pants. Clues, yep. I assure you, you cannot touch this. <laughs> jorts. I'm big on jorts. Is that a thing? <laughs> I I don't I don't know if that's still a thing. Okay. Uh, so you're now up to rules manager. What's a typical day, if there is such a thing, for a rules manager at Wizards? Well, there are, as rules manager, there are good days and there are bad days, uh, almost none of which involve using my AK, so I'm happy about that. Um, it varies, so we're working on a bunch of different projects at the same time. Uh, at any given moment, there are, you know, six or plus card sets in various stages of design and development. There are uh, other products like dual decks or, you know, even things like gift boxes. Uh, the commander uh, products. Commander, uh, things like conspiracy or arch enemy. There's lots of things in flight. So I have rules management kind of has a wide variety of duties. Primarily, I would say that they act as kind of an advisor. They, mm -hmm review card files with design and development through the various stages of that process, giving feedback on both mechanics and individual cards and kind of making sure that everything works within the system of magic rules, right? Magic rules are kind of a framework. 
things have to fit into that framework one way or the other, either respecting the existing framework or building onto it. And it's the rules manager's job to make sure that all happens. It involves, you know, going through card files and leaving lots of comments and asking lots of questions and writing new comp rules. And that's sort of the advisory component of rules management. There's also sort of the document production uh, phase of it, writing the FAQs now called the release notes, writing uh, update bulletins, writing articles for the website when we do the, what we call the mechanical overviews of a new, new set is coming out. So here's, Kind of in slightly layman's terms, you know, for the players, here's just how to play your new cards and here's why they're fun and awesome and why your current decks are going to get better and why you're going to be inspired to build new decks. So how early or late, I, I, I guess I'm just trying to get, I don't want to, you know, have you speak out of turn about your fellow colleagues there at, at Watsi, but oh, how, not, how early or late... Somebody? Do they get you involved? I mean, is it is it more that they're asking, hey, how do we do this? Or is it more like, hey, we did this thing. Can you make it so it doesn't break the entire game? Yeah, it, both happen. Um, often I get asked more about individual cards earlier than I do mechanics, mm-hmm. which is strange, but it happens. Um, obviously, it kind of depends on how far out of the box we're talking. Um uh, like I'm trying to think of. Uh, let's take double-faced cards as an example. That's a good example. Because that happened uh, under your tenure, and it's behind us, so we can totally talk about it. It is. It is my my crowning achievement. Um, double-faced cards obviously are a major component of Innistrad, right? right. Like when that set was coming out. This is going to be the highlight. This is whatever. This is the cool new thing. Like you, if you've played Magic, you've never seen anything like this before. It requires a whole lot of work. <laughs> yeah, to go by the magic player's yardstick of a mechanic, uh, this is the thing that's going to kill magic this set. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, like double face cards are one of those things. Uh, a lot of mechanics kind of fall in this bucket where taken in a vacuum, played only with itself, double face cards are pretty intuitive. Nothing super complex about it. You know, they, they work the way they work. It's just they also have to work with all 14,000 previous cards. Right. And that's where all the problems come. Yeah. I'm sorry, not problems. Uh, opportunities uh, yeah, to offer challenges. challenges. Challenges to overcome, to deliver fun to the people. I'm sorry, I'm getting a note from my PR representative here. Just one moment. Yes, deliver fun to the people. That's what I meant to say. Ah, okay, good. Yes, we'll we'll make a note of that. Good, good. Uh, so, double face cards. What, double face cards. What was it like? Sorry, what was the question? Yeah, oh, so... so what... face cards. So, uh, early in, in Estrad's design, I mean, we obviously knew that transformation was a big theme of that set. Um, you know, given the sort of the, the horror world, like overtones, we're going to have werewolves and things turning into other things. So double face cards were brought up pretty early in the process of like, you know, this is going to be the cool thing. How do we do it? Um, and I was surprised as we moved through early design that no one immediately killed this idea. <laughs> you crazy, crazy people. No. Uh, they were just cool, right? We ran playtests with them and everyone kind of fell in love with it. Uh, the stories that they tell are really good. Um, obviously the flavor, which doesn't exist so much in early design, or, but that really worked out. So, okay, double face cards are going to exist. Now we need to start worrying about how we're going to implement them. Right. So work began pretty early on these. Um, you immediately p- can pick up some of the trouble spots, you know, Copies are going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, 
just the physical implementation of them, like how do we keep them hidden like other cards in your library? What right. do we do in booster draft, right? There's obviously lots of questions that you, you immediately come to mind. Oh, who's, whose idea, by the way, if you remember, whose idea was the checklist cards? I th- Ooh, that's a good question. Possibly Aaron Forsyth? Mm, that sounds like it. Um, or me, or somebody. I don't actually remember that. I mean, we talked, there were so many conversations about these and, and what we were going to do. Um, that's a tough one. It's, it's okay if you don't remember. I'm sorry I'm failing. I, I don't, I don't remember specifically who came up with the checklist if, card. If this is your biggest failure. Oh no, I mean, that's we're, my we're fourth just fine. biggest failure today. All right. Uh, oh wait, getting another note from PR. You're fired if you don't remember. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was Aaron Forsyth for sure. <laughs> Thank it. All right, that's it is now true. So, do you remember when you were implementing the uh the the, the double-faced cards? Uh was there any particular card interaction, an old card that you're like, "Oh, we just that's not going to fly at all." <laughs> well, double-faced cards kind of uh have uh it's a good question. Um copy effects are a big one, like I said. Uh right. Sort of figuring out exactly how that is going to work was big. Um, what are some other cards that are particularly problematic with those? I, I, I sort of conflate double-faced cards and morph in my head. Oh, uh, well, yeah, that's that's. They, they, they have some similarities, but... Uh, anything with phasing, maybe. Yeah, anything with phasing. Uh, yeah, phasing, uh, Bushido, banding... Yeah, Let, let's go with ban- how did ba- did you ever consider how banding and double faced cards would work? Oh man, I haven't thought about it until just this moment. Did you? I mean, the card you'd be surprised how many mechanics come down the pike where the real problematic card is sight of shape. <laughs> did you ever at any point consider uh, trying to put into a commander product bands with other transformed cards? Because <laughs> if not, that one's free. I'm just giving it to you. All right, well, I can't uh, accept unsolicited, uh, unsolicited game submissions. By the way, everyone, you're welcome. I've now made it so they can't do that. I certainly am not writing this down as we speak. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah, probably not. It's not worth writing because banding, oh, terrible idea. Banding, uh, banding just kind of had some scope creep going on. It's a, it's a good mechanic under, you know, there's a kernel of a good mechanic there. Right. I mean, just, you know, sensibilities have changed. Magic's been around for 22 on 23 years. We just know a lot more than we did then. You know, we we get to use all the knowledge and experience of the people that were flying blind. So can't blame them, really. Yeah, there have literally been millions of games of Magic played since then. Yes. So we can figure out, oh, no, this is, mm, no. Yeah. Uh, okay, so double-faced cards aside, maybe, uh, what was the most difficult change that you can recall that you've had to make as the rules manager to, to implement? Not that it was, you know, uh, painful necessarily for you because it was a beloved, maybe you just really loved that rule you had to pull out. But I mean, what was the most tricky, required the most finesse? It's probably double face. Oh, wait, no, hang on. Um... I mean, that could be the answer, and if that's it, I that's mean, it. Double-faced cards are probably it. Uh, there there are changes that I, I look back on fondly that maybe weren't as far-reaching mm-hmm. as you would think. Like, I think of Karn and restarting the game. Right. Like that. I mean, is, he's got I his re- own rule in the comp rules now. Yeah, like, it's not really a change so much as it is sort of this new component that we added in. 
Um, we've done a lot of work with solidifying beginning of game sequences, so you can have things like the Chancellors and uh, things that start on the battlefield and things like that. And some of those were, um, you know, because it opened up little bits of game design possibility. And those are always the most satisfying when you can come up with a rule structure that allows more cards, you know, more interesting cards to be made. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one that I wanted to ask you about, and I'm afraid I can't remember it right now. It was about a year, maybe two years ago, you guys did a cleanup of creature types, and there was a creature type that was removed. And I wanted to ask you when I got a chance to see you why you guys took away <laughs> that creature. So creature types are kind of an interesting thing because they're the one component of the card where there's lots of interested parties. Like creative has a good bit of say as to what creature types a a particular creature gets. Development also cares because creature types are often mechanically relevant. And rules management cares pretty much for the same reasons that development do. Like Mm -hmm. editing also cares because the card has to be cohesive. So creature types are kind of this interesting negotiation uh, between parties. Of course, we had the grand creature type update previously, which made lots of changes. And we've undone a couple of them over time, just ones that we thought better of. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, uh, I would say, if you have to label it as such, I, I would say the creative team are really the ones kind of driving the bus on creature types. So they're the ones I can blame for Anteater being That's taken That's really us. what I'm going for Okay, here. great. Um, pangolins are so adorable. They are. Was it Prowling Pangolin? It was Prowling Pangolin. I went to the San Diego Zoo last year, and we saw a sleeping pangolin. They're so adorable. It was removed in Fate Reforged, so I, I was just I was just Googling that while uh, while you were talking, so I could find out which yeah. one. But yeah, it was totally Prowling Pangolin. I'm bringing up Gatherer on my phone while we're talking. Yeah. Hey, folks listening home, do you want to look up some of the cards we're talking about as we're talking about them? Visit gatherer.wizards.com. Also pull over before you do that just in case you're listening. Uh, hey, folks out there, are you driving right now? Well, you can look up those cards later. That's right. Make a mental note of it. Not a real note, but a mental... And if you're Steve on the bus, go ahead and look it up now. You're on the bus. That's why you're taking public transit. Remember, click it or tick it. And uh, take it slow in ice and snow. That's the big one right now. In- oh, we don't have a lot of ice and snow. Yeah, but I'm in Michigan. But we all go so. insane when, when it does happen. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, Prowling Pangolin is now a beast. Uh, yeah. We decided, so it was printed as a beast, which is why it's a beast now. Uh, and- it was given the anteater type, but it's at actually not an anteater. Someone did a lot of research about this, and it wasn't me. Okay. But I believe the result was something like Prowling Pangolin is not actually an anteater, so it shouldn't. An anteater was this type that doesn't show up anywhere else, and we made it up, and we just shouldn't have done any of that, and it should just be a beast. I see. Okay, that's fair. And a sexy beast it is. There need to be more squirrels just between you. Has now, there... From your lips to Mark Purvis's ears. Excellent. Have yeah. you ever uh, had a change, like this? someone came to you and said, hey, Tayback, uh, we want to do X, and you thought, oh, yeah, that'll be easy. And then, like, 20 minutes later, you just regretted everything about that conversation because it was not at all easy. Some This does happen sometimes. Uh, we were looking at the rules concerning uh, basically how objects change characteristics. And so if you have, like, a, an instant that says creatures you control get plus two, plus two until end of turn. Right. And how that doesn't affect creatures that come under your control later in the turn. Oh, yes. That is very confusing for uh, a lot of This often players. confuses people. Um, it, it basically comes down to 
really that's a good gameplay decision mm-hmm. um, because you start looking at things like falter versus overrun versus oh like I think there was a card in one of the commander products that wanted to do something oh man I wish I could remember hang on this is just I'm just giving you bad answers here like there was a card that did a thing and I can't even remember well here this is a really good illustration though of one of the challenges of your job I mean let's I'm not going to describe magic magic's rules framework as uh I'm not going to say creaky although I'm going to think it ever expanding in scope and so no no creaky as in Not, well, sometimes it's creepy too. I've been described as creepy before. Uh, but no, it's, it's, uh, it's such a large beast with a, a great deal of history and inertia behind it. And there are so many cards that are trying to interact with it. And so many, let's be honest, really creative people trying to, you know, stretch those rules in creative ways. And oh, that, absolutely. That's a breeding ground for, complications yeah well sort of the, the, the metaphor i've used before uh is the the magic rule system is kind of like an automobile uh-huh. uh lots of interconnected parts uh you know tweaking one system will often interact with other systems in perhaps unpredictable ways right. now to the end user to the player to the driver like when i'm driving a car i don't actually care what happens when i hit the brakes mm-hmm. I don't care that pushing the pedal does this, that does that, that pulls this pulley. I know a lot about cars, can't you tell? Oh, All I yeah. care is about is that the car stopped. Like, I expect the car to stop. The car stopped. I'm happy. At their best, magic rules are similar. I should be able to look at some cards, look at a situation, look at an interaction. And my assumptions about what is going to happen, if my intuition yields the right result, then the rules are doing their job. The goal of the comparables is to be as invisible to players as it can be. And it's also an automobile that we're constantly adding pieces to while it's in motion. Yes, which uh, sometimes works out great, and other times, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, I mean, there definitely have been, uh, there are always cards that interact with other cards in weird ways. You start, like I said before, you start identifying sort of problem areas that come up frequently. Copy effects are one. Uh, process of casting a spell or activating an ability is sometimes tricky. Um like for uh, a good example is uh, bullet points that we've start using on modal cards. Oh, by the way, I love those. Absolutely love them. You have to thank the great game of Duel Masters for that innovation. Yeah. Uh, another game that Wizards of the Coast produces mostly for the Japanese market. They have oh, they just bullet points everywhere. Everything's a list in that game. It's beautiful. Um, but that has allowed us to do a lot of innovation uh, with modal spells. Now you have. Um, you, we can be a little bit more creative with how we do it because it takes up less room and it's just so much clearer now, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, the flip side of that, if I can, if I can register a complaint, since I have you here. Oh, that's moment. really why I wanted to come on. This I time. know you were just thinking to yourself. I wonder what clues is pissed off about. Right. Let's talk to him. Uh, the textless player rewards copy of Cryptic Command. Oh, that's that's a, that's really a classic. That's that was a terrible idea. Oh, it was a classic. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't do the Texas cards anymore. Yeah, uh, I've noticed. I that noticed. was, uh, it was good for a certain kind of player. Right. It was not as good for other kinds of players. Which is most of them. Yeah. Um, really, I mean, we, we, 
we we make a card game, and we really hope that you have fun playing our card game. And uh, any barriers that we can remove between you and fun, we want to do that. And uh, I think Texas, Texas cards were, were a barrier. Well, if you really mean that, and you're speaking you to do. me specifically, can you stop with the counter spells? Because I really don't like blue mages. Oh, okay. Uh, hang on, let me take some notes. Okay, sure. I'm sure you'll get right on it. Because it's not like it's the most popular color in magic. Right. So we still have time. Uh, uh, Shadows over Innistrad, as you said, uh, is our next set. That one's locked down. But skipping ahead, I see we have code name. Wait, what code names have we released publicly? I'm I, looking at my, uh, my uh, PR representative. Yeah, I was going to say that. I don't actually know offhand. All right. Well, I'm just going to stop that joke right there because I don't want to tread upon things. Yeah, that's yeah, If you've got specific requests, like no more counter spells. Yeah, uh, I can ignore them just as easily as any other Wizards of the Coast. Perfect. That's said. exactly what I wanted. Please let me know. <laughs> yes, excellent. In that case, we also need more Chandra, and uh, can we maybe get a Tybalt who doesn't suck? But that's that's maybe a complaint for another time. Um, I, Tybalt hobbies are his own business, so yeah, I don't, I don't get involved in the story that often. Okay. If you're not a cute green homunculus, I want nothing to do. Yeah, we'll come to, okay, well then let's just skip to that. That was going to be one of the things I was going to end with. But Segways, yo. That's how we roll. Let's go ahead and segue into the, I, what I believe could be the most important single thing you have ever produced. That segue joke was. And that is a, uh, important story about, uh, Fibulthip. Who, who is the most, Fibulthip is, is how we're, we're doing that? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I was hoping you could tell me. I, I always said Fibblethip. Okay, well, then it's officially that now, because you wrote the story. Uh, so. Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. So there we go. Uh, so for those who don't know... Uh, he's, a, he's a homunculus in the uh, streets of Ravnica. <laughs> I was going to say the most beloved uh, magic character ever. Ravnica. I believe that is the correct Ravnica. Name. Ravnica. The old, the old world of Ravnica. City of Guilds. Excellent, excellent. But you you did write this story. How did that come about? That your you... representative is leaving the room. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think our accents were that bad, but I don't. Uh, uh, yeah, everyone's. Um, how did that come about? Uh, this is not a very interesting answer, but it is an honest one. Uh, I went to Kelly Diggs, uh-huh. who was in charge of what was then called Uncharted Realms and is now official magic fiction. Yeah. Catchy, yo. Uh, yeah. Uh, what? It's, it, that's. Well, I mean, it does, it does exactly what it says on the tin. I'll right. give it that. But, for, for the part of the website that deals with flavor, its name is not itself flavorful. Well, it saves the flavor. It's a flavor conservation project. I, well, I didn't know that we had uh, to conserve flavor. There's only so much in the world. That's why Lay's does that thing with their potato chips. You can't have all the good flavors. You can only have some of them. I see. So they occasionally... every day is Christmas, and I think it's the same reason we don't do full art lands all the time. Oh, okay. Rob could explain it to you. I don't. <laughs> I'm sure he has. Um, yes. Look on his Tumblr. I'm sure the answer is. Uh, actually, no, I just pretty simple answer. I went to Kelly Diggs, who was uh, in, in charge of kind of wrangling all the writers for these things. I said, hey, you know, I, I would love to do one of these if the right opportunity comes along. I have a particular style and um, a dumb green homunculus fit that. No, um, Fibblethip, uh, Fibblethip spoke to me. He's, he's a cute little guy, kind of innocently making his way through the world, not unlike myself. And uh, 
much as the circumstances that brought me to rules management, circumstances conspire to uh, essentially make Fibblethip into Ravnica's Batman. And I, I was see. happy to tell that story because he's a, he's a, a simple, heroic dude. I, I see a lot of myself in him. That's fair. I mean, for those who don't know Matt Tabeck, he is an incredibly tall man. He's a giant of a man, is what he is. Uh, both both in physical not- stature and in uh, mental ability. He is right a giant. Right now, I'm, I'm the highest I've ever been. And, in fact, uh, Fibblethip is a tiny little homunculus. Tiny. With, with just one eye. And as uh, this note from my PR representative has, is telling me, I give the highest of S's. Oh, I'm sorry, fives. I give the highest <laughs> fives. Uh, there's, there's a great, uh, oh God, what is uh, Morrow's comic called? Um, right, but I believe he had a comic involving him to high-five you. Yeah, oh, you know, no, you know what, it's like a, so his, his comic is Tales from the Pit. Right. But his, but there's like a subset when he uses the little Funko dolls. Oh, yes. Like they're in a sitcom. Which, by the way, are hilarious. Yeah, no, those are great. That has its own name, which I, I don't remember. But the whole thing is Tales from the Pit. Right. The Pit being the area of R&D where we work. Right. Well, work. We all like to believe, and don't tell us if this isn't true, because it's what keeps us going day after day, that everything inside of Watsi is just like a big party all the time, and you guys are just having a blast every second of every day. I mean, working here is really awesome. I mean, there is a lot of work. I don't want to, you know, we we do get stuff done. It actually takes quite a bit to make those products that you see in stores. I was going to say, I can't help but notice that even though it's a party all the time, sets keep coming out. So yeah, obviously there, we, we have deadlines, we have schedules, we have, you know, work we need to get done. But, you know, it's really good, really good time. Um, I don't think twice about coming to work in the morning like, oh, my God, here we go again. Or, you know, there's there's pressures like there is at any job, but. You know, this is the best job in the world, right? We we make fun and we we produce fun. We increase the amount of fun in the universe, and that's pretty awesome. If we all did that, we'd be a lot better off. So we would. Uh, before we get totally lost from the Fabulous uh, bit, Fabulous. Uh, on behalf of my wife, when I told her that I was having you on the show, she said you have to ask him what is Fibblethip doing now, and when does he get his spark. Uh, okay, so Fibblethip, I don't want to rain on your parade too hardly. Well, bear in mind, I'm still waiting for uh, a Squee to get his spark, so... So, Fibblethip, I'm told, uh, being a created being... Just like way, Karn. In a way that... Uh, yeah, but he's made of silver, so that's different, because it can travel through time, uh-huh. I guess? Yeah. Uh, Fibblethip, I'm told that homunculi can't hold sparks. Yeah, I'm just saying that creative's not working hard enough. If and, they, uh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, the way I look at it, uh, it, just a few years ago, homunculi couldn't vote. Right. Uh, they, I, they, they had to, you know, um, do, they, I don't know where this joke is going. But, yeah, I, I don't know either. So if any homunculus out there could do it, it'd be Fibblethip. Okay, we can all agree on that. So I don't know if it's going to happen, but if it if any if any of them are going to do it, it's going to be Fibblethip, right? Little dude's awesome. That's right. So you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Fibblethip is totally the number one most important protagonist in Shadows Over Innistrad. That's what I, I heard. 
I am hoping so. we see him again. I have no information about seeing him again. I hope we do. I'd be fun to catch up with him. I like to think he's still tending to his uh, garden. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Waiting, waiting for the call to action to find him once again. So now that we're like almost to the end of the time, have we right? are. Uh, well, I I, we're coming up on halftime. I was going to say, I don't know when you need to leave, I'm but sad. you know, I, I only claimed I was going to steal hey, a little I, bit of your time. Oh, not leaving. Uh, but th- the, the whole reason that I tried to get you on now was to ask about something that happened in the rules now, or at least that was the hook I claimed, which is, Oh, right. So we've, we've just had oath of the gate watch happen. And in it, there was a little change to the rules. We now have things that care about paying colorless mana in their costs. Yes, we introduced a new symbol. We did. The colorless mana symbol. It is a uh, that diamond. Yeah, which I've been told is called an astrid, the, the geometric shape. I don't know if that's true, but... Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Yo, Joe. That's right, bringing you two and a half battles a week. Anyway, so you invented this new symbol, and uh, there are now things that care about colorless mana being cast. How yeah. difficult was this to implement? Um, Not too difficult. Uh, so, a couple things going on. One, we knew that uh, tied to Kozilek in Oath of the Gatewatch was going to be uh, spells that required colorless mana to cast. Right. So that was going to be a thing. Uh, what was not settled early was the use of that symbol to also represent mana added to your mana pool. Uh-huh. Um, so we talk about this uh, every week in R&D. We have a meeting called Card Crafting where members of the uh, R&D team gather in a conference room and discuss sort of various issues that affect how magic cards are created. It's uh, We talk about... Everything from the kind of the nitty gritty, like new symbols like this, new templates, uh, to just sort of larger directions of like, you know, what should red commons be doing? That kind of thing. So we discuss a wide variety of topics, all tied to making magic cards. So we spent a couple of card craftings on this topic. Uh, it was, we did not come upon this idea early enough to implement it in Magic Origins. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some debate as to Battle for Zendikar versus Oath of the Gatewatch how this would actually be implemented. One component of that conversation was, of course, Zendikar Expeditions. We knew that some of these lands that we were going to be reprinting uh, would require this symbol and some would not. And how does that shake out? Uh, coincidentally, there was a nice system that we kind of wanted to do where all the all the lands that required that symbol show up in Oath and not Battle for Zendikar. Right. This was not accidental. So we have this new symbol. Um, in, in many cases... It affects a little bit. Colorless is, of course, not a color, uh, but what it is is a type of mana. I think when people talk about it behaving like a color, what they're actually saying is that it behaves like a type of mana, which it does because it is. Uh, so that didn't require a whole lot of rules, you know, churn or a lot of changes, but we did need to insert the symbol and account for it appropriately. There's that section in the 200s or in the 100s that talk about the, the mana symbols. Mm-hmm. So it had to be added to that list. Uh, we had to cover some corner cases, like now the off chance that um, mana represented by a generic symbol is added to your mana pool, and that's uh, that one card. Diamond something. Now, the one with reminder text that has three UU in it that doesn't count for commander. You know. Oh, 
Uh, yeah, but now that you're asking me to come up with it, I can't. Yeah, me too. I've been, I've been yeah. working on this card for months. I can stuff. tell you that someone out there right now is yelling at their, their like cell yeah, phone that they're I, listening to this on. This and... is one challenge of working for Wizards is that you get a lot of card names in your head that may or may not be real and sometimes you confuse them with older cards yeah and i'm sure play charmed pendant charmed pendant is the one okay um, a quick detour one of the challenges of rules manager is it's my job to come up with options for how we implement new rules because of this i sometimes remember options that we never actually used so I will think a rule is not what it actually is because I'm remembering a change we didn't end up making, but we talked about. Mm -hmm. This is sometimes a challenge. This happens with cards also. Like I, I remember uh, a good example of that is Kozilek's Channeler, mm -hmm. which I knew through many playtests as a 4-5. or five. Ah, I was very surprised to find out in the middle of a pre-release game, real pre-release game, that it was only 4-4. <laughs> Written on the card, but I I remembered it being a 4 Right. So anyway, uh, Colorless Mana, not too challenging, but once we have the system down, it's actually, it produces what I believe is a far more logical system. Uh, we talked a lot about the problems that we've encountered teaching new people to play. Mm-hmm. And we teach a lot of new people to play. Like, we go out to events, I've been to, you know, conventions and pro tours and... I've taught, you know, hundreds of people through live demos how to play Magic at these events over the years. And one of the very confusing things was that we had a mana symbol that meant two different things often on the same card. Yeah, it's just if they're in different places, they mean subtly different things. Right. Yeah. This one means colorless mana. And this one means, if it's a cost, any kind of mana. I can use blue to pay for this one, but this one isn't a blue. It's it's actually very confusing. I know it's hard. Like, if you've played Magic for a while, this probably is not confusing to you. And you're like, this is an easy system. Why don't people get it? But I've, I've seen it many, many times. For new players, if you know nothing about Magic, I honestly think this system is more logical, more intuitive, and easier to teach. So. Yeah, the old system, you know, if we're... I so magic play you've met magicers right we we uh, don't we don't like change we fear change and oh, we, yeah. our initial response is to reject it utterly and outright because that's dumb why would you change it but if we just wait like you know 60 seconds after that knee-jerk reaction and look at it critically you're like yeah this makes a lot more sense now so it's it's a great change uh, as i, I often tell people magic is change it is the very essence of the game Every new piece we introduce changes everything about every other piece, right? And you reconsider decks, you reconsider combos, we reconsider rules. Magic is in a constant state of flux, which is why it's stronger than it's ever been here in year 23. And it's, you know, if we're doing our job right, it's going to be stronger in year 24 and on and on and on. Right. It's because things change and it's because we're open to saying, hey, things we thought we knew 10 years ago that we could be better, right? Yeah. RD is all about make magic better. Not not worse. That, that maybe that's the new uh company slogan. We make magic better, make not worse. Magic. Right. Yeah. That's that's like, like we're players too, right? This is it's not like we're uh corporate executives making creamed corn and we don't actually eat creamed corn, but we want people to eat our creamed corn. And this is a weird metaphor, but I'm gonna go with it. Yeah, roll with it, man. You know, we're we're out there. You know, we go to F and M's. We go to tournament. We're not allowed to play in every tournament out there, but we're allowed to play in a lot of them. And 
you know, we just, this is, I didn't work for Wizards forever, right? I played and I put a lot of years and a lot of hours in Magic before coming to work here. And I just, we all want the game to be the best it can be. Yeah. So before I let you go, I Wait, have... Wait, let me go? Well, yeah, I mean, I can't keep you here. That's kidnapping. Oh, right. Yeah. So uh, before I let you go, I've, I have a couple of very important questions to end things with. Yes. Uh, question number one, uh, amongst my fellow hosts on another show I do, Monday Night Magic, uh, we have a saying that has been repeated, which is that damage doesn't kill creatures. Matt Tabeck kills creatures. Is that fair? Uh, hang on. It's, it's so beautiful. <laughs> I hang on. I just <laughs> I kill I kill creatures. That's yeah. like. Do you know how many creatures die in a day? Yes, a lot. Do you know how much magic is being played out there? This I mean, is like Sally Struthers levels of catastrophic, and I'm responsible for all that. <laughs> it is awesome. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I, I'll uh, I'll chalk state, that up as that's a fair state, statement. State-based actions cause creatures right. to be destroyed. A state-based action, as everyone knows, is uh, a rule that takes place in a certain state, such as California. <laughs> uh, and who's ultimately responsible for said rules? But Matt Tabak. So right. therefore. Matt Tabak creatures. So, I am, as previously discussed, the law. That's right. The law. Uh, and lastly, I I have to ask this because if anyone follows you on on Twitter, I think they will learn very quickly uh, one or two things about you uh, and some new curse words. One is that you are involved in in the magics somehow, and the other one is that you are a very big fan of the Green Bay Packers. The greatest football team on God's green earth. So why the Packers? What's the connection there? Uh, I was born in the great state of Wisconsin. Uh-huh. In, uh, it is my birthright. I am, plus, uh, I am an owner. So that, uh, as an NFL owner, that comes with a certain degree of responsibility. Fans of other teams may not be able to relate to this. Uh, no, I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My, my whole family's from Wisconsin. Um, so I was my birthright. I'm a big Packers fan. I do talk a lot about Twitter. I, I, I've noticed a lot of people uh, have different social media presences for their different things. Like someone will have a work account and their personal account. And, sure. Um, a lot of our community team here operates under that. Like they'll have their private account, which I like will be Facebook friends or whatever. And we're just like, hey, you know, we don't do work stuff here. And then there's the work account where everything's official and, you know, proper. And I am way too lazy to do that. So I have one Twitter account, and you get all of me. Um, if you uh, if you want to hear about magic rules, um, I tweet about magic rules. I tweet about the Green Bay Packers. I tweet about things that occur to me in the in the moment. Uh, I tweet jokes, lots of jokes. So you kind of get me. I don't I don't do the uh, corporate spokesperson thing. I just sort of. Do me right, and uh, you you could do me also by following me on Twitter. Wait, that came out wrong. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and uh, chat. I'm happy to. People ask me questions all the time. Happy to answer questions. Happy to help people out with their rules stuff, or at least show them where they could get more help if I'm if I can't do it. Uh, I I love followers. There, uh, if I get enough followers, they'll give me preview cards for new sets. Oh. A couple. Uh, couple G's away from that. So, uh. <laughs> Help Matt Tabak get there. 
follow yeah. Matt Tabak today. I really want to show you new cards. You can yeah. follow me and make that happen. So just know that if you sign up to follow Matt Tabak, you are getting the actual Matt Tabak experience. Yeah, and you know, I'll even help you out, so you don't have to go searching for me. I will tell you that my Twitter handle is uh, T A B A K R U L E S Tabak Rules. All Which right. is a little a little self-aggrandizing, I, I grant you, but it's you know it's rules. Well, again, it does what it says on the tin. I mean, you are the rules manager, so right. I should let you know clues uh, before I let you go. I just got a text from my wife. She says hi. Oh well, hello to her. And uh, thought I'd mention that. And what and other hot topics that your your listeners uh, need to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. They're also getting the authentic clues experience here because I'm I'm just having you know a fireside chat with Matt Tabeck, which I, I kind of wish. You know, we're doing this. I don't know if you could tell um, the audio quality of this podcast, but we're doing this over Skype. I'm not actually in the room with you. In fact, I'll give your listeners a little bit of inside information. I'm sitting in a conference room at Wizards of the Coast. The name of the conference room is No Man's Land, oh. uh, which is. One of the weirder names we have for conferences. At one point, Wizards, all of our conference rooms were named after popular, like, um, brands and popular, like, we had, you know, some Transformers-based rooms and Star Trek-based rooms. Like, there's the bridge and there's Ten Forward. And, and uh, a lot of them were magic-related, but we kind of branched out into other properties. Then uh, they put somebody in charge that was just weird. And we started naming conference rooms things like my office. That's the name of the conference room. So you get an Outlook invitation and it's in my office. So um, what you're telling me is someone who was really into dad jokes. Totally. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that person doesn't work here anymore um, or may have never worked here. I don't know. It could have been like bring your kid to work day. And uh, someone was just mischievous. But yeah, there were two conference rooms on one of the floors named Somewhere and Nowhere. Of course. So, you know. What are you going to do? We've got a dragon in our lobby. We're crazy. Yeah, that is true. Yo. That is true. Well, has- I, I have to say, uh, this has been a lot of fun. I'd like to thank you for uh, hosting this podcast for me. It's been a oh. pleasure to have you on. Uh, please come back next week and host again. Sure. I will take care of that for you. I won't be here, but that's okay. Oh, not uh, to worry. We'll carry on in your stead. i also like to thank our sponsors, uh, including... Okay, we don't have sponsors. That's cool. Um, we'll, we'll work on that. I'm sorry. We, we are brought to you by the number 12 and the letter oh, A. 12 is good. Uh, I would also like to send a special shout out to rule 304.5F. 304.5F. I'll put a link to that maybe my, in the my, show notes. My 304.5F, my, uh, my beloved. Is that even a real rule? I don't know. I don't actually know. I'm going to have to look okay. that up because you know someone's going to check. Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to send some beautiful love out to my uh, design teams. And uh, I want to say uh, I really I gave it all in this podcast. I left it all out on the field. Um, I just I just want to thank, uh, you know, everyone for giving me this opportunity. I just we, we wanted to play good. We played good, put a lot of effort in, gave it 100 percent. And uh, I'm happy with the results. Yeah, I think today was our day. Uh, by the way, there, there is no 304.5 
I'm going to make one. There is a 304.5, but it Damn. has no subsections. So What is 304.5? Uh, 304.5, if text states that a player may do something, quote, anytime he or she could cast an instant, unquote, it means only that that player must have priority. The player doesn't need to have an instant he or she could actually cast. Effects that would prevent the player from casting a spell or casting an instant don't affect the player's capacity to perform that action, unless the action is actually casting a spell or casting an instant. We are working on that, by the way. That and sorcery. Yeah. Not, uh, not thrilled with those templates. I wish we had something better. Yeah. I mean, you could just have sorceries with flash, but I think we tried that once. Oh. And... Yeah. Sorcery speed. Uh, sorcery speed. I say sorcery speed. There are speeds, but activate this ability only anytime you can cast sorcery is a uh, kind of source of confusion. It is, yeah. On occasion, so that's something I'm going to work on. And uh, something we can talk more about in part two of this podcast. Yes. Coming up stay tuned year. for that. Please stay tuned. Listen, Sometime. Listen to every podcast from now until then, because you never know when I may show up. Yes, it could happen at any moment. He is like... Like, person is giving me some sort of lasso symbol. I don't even know what that means. Huh. Interesting. Uh, oh, ooh, ooh, I know. They're excited for uh, the upcoming DC movies where Wonder Woman is going to appear. Oh, I like Wonder Woman. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm excited about it. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you here. I thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Are we ready to start recording? Uh, yeah, any second now, I'm going to hit this red button and we're going to record. Okay. It's the one that on Skype, it looks like a telephone. That's the record button. Oh, let me hit that now. Yeah, exactly. Beep, boop, boop. <laughs> ah, that's great. So thank you all for joining us here on this episode of Card Advantage. This has been episode number 107 here with Mr. Matt Tabeck, the rules manager at Wizards of the Coast. If you want to get a hold of us for any reason, there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can reach us on email. We are mtgcardadvantage at gmail.com. You can reach us on Twitter. We are at cardadvantage. If you want to go to our website, it is cardadvantagecast.com. If you want to reach me directly, you can do that. I am at Lockluze, spelled just like it is in the show notes. And even though Rich couldn't be with us, he is at MindMage. Uh, although he probably would have said it was, I don't know, Esper, Soren, Winky, Face, something, something. I'm not really sure. Uh, thank you all very much for joining us, and we will see you all next time. You used to make